This is Unfilter, episode 127 for December 17th, 2014. Let's first of all, let, let's, uh, let's, let's differentiate, if we can, for the sake of this conversation, between the abuses, the things that were not... The sent, unauthorized The activities. unauthorized, such right. as the rectal rehydration. No, stop. Go, okay. All right. That was a medical procedure. Spraying hummus and pine nuts and... Jake, I'm not a doctor and neither are you, but what I am told is this is one of the ways that the body is rehydrated. These were medical procedures. And to give you a sense... You're really defending rectal rehydration. Welcome to Unfilter, episode 127 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you from all of that TV you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chris, and Mr. Chase is out this week, unfortunately, but in his place, never replacing him, is our Mumble Room. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Welcome to the show. Hey, oh, Hey, guys. Thanks for uh, filling in for uh, Mr. Chase. He regrets not being here uh, this week because... This week, uh, we're going to follow up on some stories from, well, a couple of big stories from last week, and then also uh, backfill in some interesting developments that have happened since our last episode. But really, uh, when we walked away from episode 126, where we really covered that that new uh, CIA torture report summary, I realized after the episode, I was pretty happy that we managed to cover what we did. But then I realized there's an entire episode of stuff I missed. And I felt really bad about that because I think there's some really important aspects and angles to the uh, CIA torture report that needs to be talked about. So that's where I wanted to start at the top of the show is we're going to jump in right with that. And then we're going to move into some of the new news for the week later in the show. Um, and I, why don't we pick up with that intro clip? So that was uh, that wasn't Dick Cheney, as the chat room thought it was. That was uh, Michael Hayden. Now, Michael Hayden has the uh, distinct honor of serving as the director of the CIA and the head of the NSA under Bush. Now, Hayden actually made some changes to the enhanced interrogation program that made it more legit. Essentially, when Hayden came in, the CIA was already torturing people. And Hayden sort of codified the legal process around it in the CIA. And so now... As such, he seems to be one of the people that's gone out and really defended it. So over the weekend, it was it was like really like the heavy hitters went out to the Sunday talk shows and really gave it their best pitch. And we're going to look at some of it. I want to pick back up, though, with that Hayden clip. So that's Hayden. He's talking to Jake Tapper on CNN's The Lead. And he says to him, he says, are, are you really seriously trying to defend rectal rehydration to me? Now, he... I know. It's kind of a heavy topic to start with at the top of a show. I, we're going out of the gate with rectal rehydration. But if you're familiar with our coverage from last week, this was a method that they claimed they needed to use on, 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 in five instances to rehydrate the prisoner. It was, they say it was a medical. Oh, and here's, the, here's an NBC clip autoplaying. One clear example of flawed CIA management was the poorly managed detention facility referred to in our report by the code name COBALT to hide the actual name of the facility. It began operations in September of 2002. The facility knew few formal records of the detainees 
excuse me, the facility kept few formal records of the detainees housed there. And untrained CIA officers conducted frequent, unauthorized, and unsupervised interrogations. So one of the uh, most notorious uh, um, al-Qaeda guys to get uh, tortured is the supposed architect of the 9-11 attack. And in in the documents, in the report, it reveals that they started doing procedures on him within about 10 days of his arrival in detention. So it's pretty hard to claim that's for an emergency medical rehydration process. Uh, But on top of that, uh, it's also just not a very common medical practice. I've got several links and resources in the show notes uh, with uh, interviews with doctors. And uh, it's also – because honestly, you just put a tube down somebody's throat and hydrate them or, or even up their nose. Uh, if you, if it turns out uh, when you shove food up someone's butt, it can actually get clogged there. And it also turns out that's not where the body was designed to absorb food. It can but uh, you're kind of bypassing a few steps. and uh, it can shocker. Yeah, 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 hey, Eric. And it can kind of get all jammed up. So it, it, this was an interesting point that the media over the, over the weekend seemed to kind of hone in on. So this, we go back now to our intro clip where you have Jake Tapper talking to Michael Hayden, who at the time was the guy running the CIA during this torture stuff. And, and now Jake Tapper's interviewing him, and he's justifying rectal rehydration. I agree with all of that. I, I, I'm, I'm a little dumbfounded that you're saying that rectal rehydration, which I've never heard of, and there is, for, you know, when they force feed prisoners in Guantanamo, I can understand that's being done in the name of keeping those prisoners alive because there's no other way to keep them alive. I've never heard of and, it, and, and, it, it being done rectally, and it, the report seems to make it clear it's being, it's, it's, a method of interrogation. No, it wasn't a method of interrogation. And why do you presume auto- automatically, without any further evidence, okay, that we were doing it for interrogation purposes, but it's just a noble one being done at Guantanamo? Okay, okay. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> did you hear what he hold said? Hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, this guy's lacking potassium. Let's shove a banana up his. Right, and so now the report... The record, the report is quoting emails, right? So that's where, like, that's why the that's why the report is like, yeah, it could have been it could have been pushed forward by Democrats, but the but the report itself is re- is reporting from a discussion email thread where they talk about this, right? So that's why it's kind of it's okay to kind of assume it's right because it's emails that they've actually reported on. Now to say, but that aside, so that's I like that I, like that 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 he's he's um upset that Jake Tapper is going with that. Anyways, that aside, his go-to is, his go-to defense here is, well, look, we do it at Guantanamo. That's a horrible defense. Yeah, yeah. And not even accurate. The two procedures are completely different. Well, yes. Exactly. Very much so. I mean, yeah, because they're not going up the ass at Guantanamo. They're going down the throat because that's how you do it. uh, I mean, I have several links in the show notes that talk about that. It is described as a method of torture. Described by whom? In the Senate report. They're an objective observer? I don't even know. Did they talk to witnesses? We're coming full circle, Jake. We, we have already agreed that they should have they should have talked to witnesses. You say they should have already always talked to I'm witnesses. Just, just, and now you're accepting their conclusion. You could, I mean, uh, honestly, I think that's Hayden losing the uh, the public argument right there. And Kitson, you wanted to touch on the sort of undiscussed sexual element of this. 
Yeah, from everything that I have seen on the uh, torture issue here is there's a definite sexual element all the way beginning with Abu Ghraib, everything. Right. And it seems like there are people that are covering tracks here to try to cover this subject up because it is a really uncomfortable one. And this is something that does need to be addressed because, you know, and I hate to put it this way. I mean, we got a bunch of people that are into BDSM here and they're just having free reign over these uh, people it's here. It's, well, what, it's a bit sick. What if it's more sophisticated than that? And and now I apologize. Uh, I came up in the public, public education system before college. Common Core, so I don't know a lot about the world. But my understanding is these particular type of individuals that were in captivity are more sensitive to things like sodomy than other cultures might be. Like it is a particularly egregious offense. Like it is it is a way to break them as a person by violating them like that. And in the emails that the report cites, in the emails, they literally say Get the biggest hose you can find. Oh, my. Yeah. So I think there is a sexual element to it, but I don't know if – I don't know. I don't think somebody's getting off. I think it's it's a calculated way to break these individuals because this entire program is orchestrated by two psychologists, right? So they are, they are thinking about how to break them as people and break them down and get them to answer their questions. That's Which is exactly what torture is. And, of course, even though as, as, as horrible as that sounds to do to a person, Dick Cheney says, well, he'd do it again. Evening. Lester, good evening. Facing heavy criticism after the Senate Intelligence Report was released this past week, former Vice President Dick Cheney was unapologetic today and said the Bush administration got it right. Former Vice President Dick Cheney unwavering in his support for the harsh interrogation tactics that happened on his watch. Today, ratcheted up his defense on Meet the Press. I'd do it again in a minute. Cheney argued the methods, including prolonged periods of waterboarding, were necessary in the wake of the September 11th attacks and insisted the procedures were not torture. Uh, of course. Now, so if if those procedures are not torture, and by the way, Karl Rove says they're not torture because we elevated their feet a little bit. Now, a lot of people have pointed out that in World War II, uh, we sentenced we I now I'm going to get this a little wrong, but we sentenced a lot of Japanese soldiers to death because they waterboarded American prisoners. Now, my understanding is that's because there was a different set of laws. In place. Here is how Cheney defines torture. So what we're going to look at really quick is at the time this was taking place, we have to go back in time and look at the Bush administration's context for all of this and what what was defined as torture. What what could you do within those that that box that wouldn't quite be crossing that line? And so on on Cheney's Meet the Press conference or back and forth interview with Chuck Todd, uh, he asked, what is torture? What do you consider torture? Well, torture to me, uh, Chuck, is uh, an American citizen um, on his cell phone making a last call to his four young daughters shortly before he burns to death in the upper levels of the Trade Center in New York City on 9-11. Uh, now, <laughs> I'm going to play that again. Hang on, What? Now tell me that wasn't a pre-rehearsed line, right? Tell me that oh, wasn't easily, something to easily. Yeah. Let's let's listen so so Chuck asked him, what's your definition of torture? Well, torture to me, uh, Chuck, 
is uh, an American citizen um, on his cell phone making a last call to his four young daughters shortly before he burns to death in the upper levels of the Trade Center in New York City on 9-11. There's this notion that somehow there's moral equivalence between what the terrorists did and what we do, and that's absolutely not true. We were very careful to stop short of torture. The Senate has seen fit to to, uh, label their report torture. Be careful to listen to what he's saying here. Let's play that back because I think there's some key words here. True. We were very careful to stop short of torture. The Senate has seen fit to to, uh, label their report torture, but uh, we worked hard to stay short of that that definition. Well, what is that definition? Definition is the one that was provided uh, by the uh, uh, Office of Legal Counsel. All of the techniques that were authorized by the president. uh, Authorized by the president. That's... That is an extremely critical, critical statement he just made because there's been a lot of speculation about how much Bush knew. Dick Cheney, the vice president of the United States, just said that they were authorized by the president. All of the techniques that were authorized by the president uh, were, in effect, blessed by the Justice Department opinion. In effect, in effect, blessed, in effect, in effect, blessed by the opinion of the Justice Department were authorized by the president, uh, were in effect blessed by the Justice Department opinion that we could go forward to those without, in fact, uh, committing torture. Without, in fact, committing torture. Cheney's stance is pretty clear. It's pretty extreme. It's very rehearsed. But I think in order to really understand in the full context of the Bush administration, uh, we have to go back to uh, Michael Muskie. Muskay, I forget how you say it. I haven't, Muscat, McCaskey, I guess McCaskey, I've never, McCaskey, that's what it is. I've never had to say it on air, I guess. He was the attorney general under George W. Bush, and he says that the reason why the CA isn't going to be prosecuted, the reason why nobody in the Bush administration will probably be prosecuted, is because they all were following the, the color of the law. Do you think any of the practices were abhorrent? That's not the standard. I mean, it's a great question, but that's not the standard. We have laws in this country, and the law that was operative at the time that these practices began... We're a nation of laws. ...was the torture statute. The torture statute. So what they were going by was this. The torture statute says you can't, under color of law, cause, uh, intentionally cause somebody severe physical or mental pain or suffering. You see, it's severe, guys. It's severe. So you can cause pain, you can cause suffering, but what you cannot do is cause severe. Now, what defines severe? Well, it turns out actual organ damage and organ failure is what's defined as severe harm. So you can theoretically do anything up until the point of organ damage. Now, if you can medically try to prevent organ damage, then you can continue to push that line pretty far. Severe physical suffering or pain isn't defined. Physical suffering and pain is not defined. Severe mental pain or suffering is... So it gave them a lot of... No, it's defined defined in durational terms. It has to last beyond what's transient. This is the attorney general, okay? So remember when Cheney said it was the opinion of legal... This was the this was the opinion. The CIA did did not violate that statute. All right. So you're you, so, so hold on, hold on. Is that mean there's a predefined pain threshold that every human is supposed to have? No, no. In fact, what he says here, and I'm going to play it. I'll play it again a little bit. Is what he says here is it's not defined by pain. It is defined by severity and duration. That these practices began was the torture statute. The torture statute says you can't under color of law, 
cause, uh, intentionally cause somebody severe. And what you have to understand is what they did is they took that word severe and they said to us legally severe means organ failure and damage, right? So you're uh, taking the word yeah. severe just like when the NSA says incidental collection, right? <laughs> incidental collection means a lot of things to them. This severe for them was organ failure and damage and mental mental anguish not a consideration. So if you're if you're rectally raping them, because you know it's particularly egregious in their culture, that's not a form of severe treatment. Physical or mental pain or suffering. Severe physical suffering or pain isn't defined. Severe mental pain or suffering. So it gave is, them a lot of wiggle room. Is the, is no, it's defined. It's defined right. in durational terms. It has to last beyond what's transient. The, what the CIA did did not violate that statute. All right, so so that's a lot of ambiguity going on there, and not only that, but if you look at that, then. It seems like they're redefining a lot of words, like severe oh, yeah. and imminent. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, seriously. That's what and I'm going to go out on. A, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's uh, a lot you can do to someone before you cause uh, an organ to fail. Yeah. Oh yeah. Heck yeah, you could take a limb. Yeah, and some of them that's did right. fail anyways, right? I mean, we've we've heard about some of them that did die. Now, so but here's my point about this: this this is not where we're going to get them. Right. It's not on what they did, because when they did it, they did it in such a way that they could they could cover their asses, because let's be honest, they're way ahead of everybody. Right. They knew what they were doing when they were doing it and they were way ahead of everybody. So that's not how you get them. And you could wiggle on uh, what. So their other defense with the rectal rehydration was, well, you know, look, that wasn't actually part of enhanced interrogation that when that was when, when they did that, well, we had a doctor come in. And that was medical. Medical isn't part of interrogation. So they would have the doctor come in and rape them with the biggest hose they could find. And then interrogation would come back. And the patient just happened to be devastated and softened up from the medical procedure. But it, it wasn't part of the interrogation program. See, so they're not going to get caught on this, right? Because the laws at the time, they, they, they the way they interpreted them, they're fine. And... Today, the Obama administration and the, and the DOJ has said they're not going to do anything about it. Well, but of course not. Where I, think we, where I think you could get them, and if you look at – especially last episode, we really showed how Dianne Feinstein has really gone out, all out. She's really put herself out there about, on this. Like she was wronged almost. Like she was like, you're going you're gonna to cross me like this? Then I'm going to take you out. I'm going to put it out there. Well, I think where we could get them is on – on how they lied and how they systematically lied. And the next couple of clips, I think, I mean, they're in public record. They're out there. The mainstream media isn't reporting on them, but they're right here. Uh, so let's start with Senator Graham, not Lindsey Graham. Uh, uh, he says, I was never briefed by the CIA. And when you hear what his position is, you'll understand why that's a bit odd. Senator, what were you told about the EIT program while you were the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee? Uh, nothing, Mike. Uh, I, it, uh, after uh, this program started, there was an attempt made to get as many people in the loop as possible. And my name was mentioned several times as having been briefed about the enhanced interrogation. I asked the CIA and the FBI what were the dates upon which these briefings took place, and they gave me four dates. 
Well, I've had a practice now for almost 40 years of carrying a spiral notebook, and I write, among other things. Now, here's what's kind of funny. is So what he's about to say is, now, look, uh, unfortunately, they claim they involve me, but I take a daily journal. And I looked at my daily journal, and guess what? Uh, a list of all the things I do throughout the day. I, and so I went to my notebooks for the four days, and in, on three of the four days, there was no briefing held. On the one day where there was a briefing, uh, I saw in my notes that there were people at the briefing who were not cleared to a security level. There were people at the briefing that were not cleared. But that they would have been briefed on a topic as sensitive uh, as enhanced interrogation. So I think that confirmed in my mind uh, that I was never briefed on the uh, use of this uh, new technique by the CIA. Uh, so uh, now that's okay. All right. So that's interesting. You could, but he almost just kind of a bit sounds like a bit like an idiot. Uh, let's go play uh, a clip here from uh, um, from Jay Rockefeller. Now I've got more information in the show notes. Jay Rockefeller, he's on his way out right now, so he's a bit of a man with nothing to lose. Uh, and on uh, he had, he had already gone out on the Senate floor, and he'd already given his big so long Senate speech. I'm done with you. I'm moving on. But then after this, he went back out on the floor. And uh, I, I think what this man put into the public record, knowing that he's no longer going to be in office and he's on his way out the door, he'd already said his goodbyes. He'd already done his good so long. And then he goes out there and what he says, it's, it, it basically confirms everything we've suspected. Very hard fight to get to this point, especially in the early years of the CIA's. So he talks about initially how uh, he worked with Feinstein and her group to publish this report. He was one of the senators that was directly responsible for this seeing the day of light, light of day. Tension program. It was a struggle for the committee to get the most basic uh, information or any information at all about the program. The committee's study of the detention program is not just the story of the brutal and ill-conceived program itself. The study is also the story of the breakdown in our system, Madam President, of governance that allowed a country to deviate in such a significant and horrific way from our core principles. One of the profound ways that the breakdown happened. Before he goes into that, I want to underscore that, right? I mean, that's truly fundamentally what's at issue here, is the United States is supposed to be better than this. And that's why this report is important. Even... Even if it is partisan, it's important because it has to be on the record that we did this. It, in order for us to truly be – we have to have this on the record for, in order for us to move forward as a nation and maybe, maybe prevent it from happening again. was through the active subversion of meaningful congressional oversight. I'm going to back it up a little bit since I cut him off uh, because he's talking about here – uh, about essentially how they were uh, lied to. ...that allowed a country to deviate in such a significant and horrific way from our core principles. One of the profound ways that the breakdown happened was through the active subversion of meaningful congressional oversight. A theme mirrored in the Bush administration's warrantless wiretapping program during that period. I first learned about some aspects of the CIA's attention interrogation program in 2003. 
When I became vice chair of the committee at that point and for years after, the CIA refused to provide me or anybody else with any additional information about the program. They first vice chair of the committee that's supposed to be overseeing them. They refused to notify the full committee about the program's existence. You remember, there was always the gang of four, the gang of six, the gang of eight. They'd take the chairman and vice chairman, take them down to the White House, give them... They'd take the chairman and they'd take the vice chairman and they'd bring them down to the White House. A flip chart, 45 minutes with the vice president. The vice president gives them a presentation himself of here's the things we're learning because we're torturing. Dick Cheney has a flip chart in the White House and they bring down the, the these two individuals. And Dick Cheney says, here's all of the things we're learning because we torture. Take them down to the White House, give them a flip chart, 45 minutes with the vice president, and off we go. Now think about this. The vice president of the United States, you go in there, you go into the White House, the frickin' White House, you go through all of the security, you sit down there, and you get a presentation from the vice president of the United States of America, and he tells you that because their enhanced interrogation techniques, which have been designed by doctors, are revealing this information, we're winning in this aspect of the fight with al-Qaeda. And you sit there as somebody who's supposed to be the overseer of this, and you go, yeah, okay, great. Gang of eight. They take the chairman and vice chairman, take them down to the White House, give them a flip chart, 45 minutes with the vice president, and off we go. Uh, Senator Roberts and I went down by car and were instructed we couldn't talk to each other on the way back. From They couldn't talk to each other afterwards. They couldn't discuss it. They couldn't discuss it amongst each other, any of them. So they have to make decisions in total isolation. It doesn't just extend to the car ride. It would also extend beyond that. Roberts and I went down by car and were instructed we couldn't talk to each other on the way back from one of those meetings. It was absurd. They refused to do anything to be of, of assistance. The briefings I pre, uh, received received little or no insight into the CIA's program. Questions or follow-up requests were rejected, and at times I was not allowed to consult with my counsel. Wow. He wasn't even allowed to consult with his legal counsel to see if the stuff they were doing was legal. So that's the oversight. That's the oversight that this program had. So when they're out there arguing that it had oversight, that's the fundamental lie. Just like all of the warrantless surveillance, it, it all has lacked oversight. But then they later on, because they've had time to codify it legally, now they claim it has oversight. Well, because now it has some sort of shitty oversight. Yeah. Yeah, it has some. That's, that's not oversight. That's just... Rubber that's stamping. Mar- yeah, rubber stamping and martial law. Yeah. You do this or die. It's like, uh, it was like, it's like, I mean, it, it, to, just to bring it to something we know in the tech industry, it, it would be like when companies were going to go work with Apple, like the music industry, right? They wouldn't want to sell music to Apple through iTunes, but then they'd go have a meeting with Steve Jobs, right? And he'd wow them with a presentation about how Apple was going to change the music industry and how the iPod was going to put thousands of songs in your pocket. And he would give them this entire vision and he would give it all, you put it all out there and then they would sign up. It's the same thing. Dick Cheney brings these guys in. He gives this whole presentation. He puts it all out there. He says, these are the bad guys. These are the things they're doing. And because we've had these enhanced interrogation techniques, we've gotten the information we need to save American lives. And oh, oh, oh. And he talks about 3,000 people dying, right? I'm not sure if that was Dick Cheney or Alex Jones that you were just Well, I think they're, they might be the same. I think they might oh, be the same person. The same? Okay, okay. Yeah, I think they might be. 
Uh, so, and it's not just that there's all of this pressure from obviously the past regimes that were in place during this, but there's also pressure, I believe, from the existing Obama administration. I think the existing administration doesn't want this report out there either. And those that are claiming that this is Obama, that Obama is behind this, I think that's crap. And if if you listen to this next clip, uh, so it came out that right before the report came out, John Kerry placed a phone call, an urgent phone call to Diane Feinstein to try to get her to delay the report. Now, I wonder if that might be on the request of Obama. So uh, John Kerry's spokeshole was asked about that, and I love how she just shucks and jives. And it's, you, she kind of makes it, tries to make it sound like he wasn't getting her, trying to make her delay it, but that's totally what he was trying to do. Where he has concerns, where he thinks issues should be raised. Was he, was, calling to ask for a, was he calling to ask for a delay? Well, he wanted to talk about the timing. Is it the right timing to release it? Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm hearing around the world. But, you know, he said to her, it's up to you to determine the timing, but I want you to know everything I know. But he would have preferred for it to be later? I think he wanted to raise the issue and have a discussion about it. But, you know, he didn't go to her house and protest the release. No, no, he I just understand. had a conversation with a former colleague. Right, okay. You know, it's no big deal. You know, no big deal. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> something tells me that she was a little butthurt about it. So. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Now, uh, I have a wild statement to make. Uh-oh. And I don't really f- feel good about saying this. But I almost wonder if... if, it, if if not for the future of the nation, if we shouldn't pardon Bush, Cheney, Rumsfeld, Hayden, uh, Lopez, and all the people in the Pentagon. Well, yeah, if we don't, then we're looking at potential civil war on our hands and outrage. I don't know about civil war. You don't think so? Well, but here's the... No, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I see, see. Okay. All right. So, but now, listen, I know, okay. I know this sounds egregious to, to, uh, to, to let them go without punishing them, but we have to be realistic. I don't think I don't think we would punish them. I don't think we would ever do it, but we also cannot say it's okay. And and just like, you know, Ford had to pardon Nixon, I I feel like if if we don't pardon them, then essentially we're saying it's okay and we're telling future generations Iran Contra scandal. It's okay. And sometimes pardons are to protest the perceived unjustness of the law under which somebody was convicted. So after prohibition ended, FDR pardoned a man convicted under the prohibition laws. JFK pardoned everyone who was convicted under a drug law that he didn't like. Presidents have occasionally issued pardons because they didn't think a real crime had been committed. But more often, people are pardoned because a real crime was committed. Because. The head of the National American Civil Liberties Union has just made a bit of a modest proposal uh, in the case of torture. In the case of torture authorized by and carried out by the George W. Bush administration, torture documented in exquisite detail by the Senate Intelligence Committee today. In the case of torture, Anthony Romero, the executive director of the ACLU, now proposes... Okay, the executive director of the ACLU. Now, I know it's Rachel Meadow. I know, I know. But listen, we're never going to go after these guys. I, I know it sucks, right? It sucks super bad. It also sucks about so many other things that happen. It is the reality of the world that we live in. We are never going to go after these guys. But if we don't put it on the record that what they did is illegal, then what we are essentially doing is giving a blank check to future administrations. Is that George W. Bush and other high-ranking officials of the Bush administration should be pardoned. They should be pardoned for crimes related to torture, authorizing and overseeing torture. And they should be pardoned because torture is a crime. 
and it ought to be seen as a crime. And as long as it is documented and admitted to openly in this country, but nobody gets prosecuted for it, well, that weakens the sense in which realistically it is illegal. If nobody's going to prosecute these guys for torture, then at least pardon them so America is on the record naming what they did as criminal. And here's the thing. Uh, the reason why I think this isn't going to happen because uh, – and that and I, unfortunately, I think it's because Obama is OK with it. And I wouldn't be surprised to find out that some version of this is still happening under him. Oh, I was just about to say that. Yeah, right? And so he wants to – Here's what Obama – Obama doesn't want to look behind. Obama wants to look the forward. Intelligence Committee. Releasing this report is an important step to restore our values and show the world that we are, in fact, a just and lawful society. Human rights groups and the United Nations have renewed calls for accountability, but U.S. President Barack Obama, who banned torture upon entering office, says the country should look forward, not back. I think it's important for us not to paint a broad brush uh, about all the incredible, dedicated professionals who I work for uh, in our intelligence community. By not holding anyone accountable, critics say the U.S. leader is creating a dangerous state of affairs. By choosing to move on, to forget about the past, not to prosecute the serious crime, (laughs) Obama is keeping torture as a misguided, wrongful policy option. For some future American president. Yeah, and that's my core issue. Now, now it wasn't Rachel Meadows' idea. Before you get all butt her chat room, uh, she just happens to be someone who articulated it very well. But it, think about it: if we don't, if we don't do it, if we don't make that declaration, then it's just going to happen again. And, and you know, the Obama administration, the hope and change guy, he's got a lot of bad marks in his book right now. Is this going to be another one? Yeah. Because this, if he, look, right? So the Bush administration, when Bush got out of office, like this wasn't really a big deal. If Obama lets this slide, right, and and he's going to, he's essentially giving a a pass to the next guy. Or or actually, it's going to be Hillary, so the next guy. Well, exactly. We haven't really seen that much hope or change since he got into office. He's been constantly, like, keeping the status quo. Woo, it's bad. I just... This this torture report. There's so many there's so many interesting aspects to it, and sometimes I wish uh, you guys could be in my brain because uh, one of the other things that has been interesting since watching. So it was great because we knew this report was landing, so we got an opportunity to watch all of like the pre-landing coverage, and then when it hit, you really got a, you really get a clear picture of. Who is clearly supporting the CIA? Who wants to, you know, cover for them and bury this? You get a clear idea of, like, obviously who are directly involved with this program are trying to cover their ass. I mean, it. somebody who watches a lot of news and watches a lot of the different channels, it was very interesting to see how this was covered. And I, I, I cannot really put it fully into words yet, but it, it showed me something about mainstream media that – it's pretty gross. And uh, like, uh, you know, Michael Hayden, he uh, he spent the entire day, one day at CNN and every show. So the way CNN does their block, their networking format, if you're not if you're not familiar, is they shows have blocks of time. And he would he had time on each show. And what he would do is he would change the jacket and he would change the tie. And then he was on Jake Tapper's show. 
He was on Wolf Blitzer's show. He was on all of the shows that day. And he just sat down and he just rattled off the CIA line every single time. And he got better and better at it as the as the day went on. So by the time that he went on to uh, the Wolf Blitzer show, uh, he was like uh, like he was like pro level. You hate this report, don't yes, you? Yes, indeed. You hate it because well, because it's a pro- prosecutorial screed rather than an objective look at the CIA interrogation and detention program. Look, I understand the need for people in a democracy to understand what the government does on their behalf. I'm afraid that's not the document. So this is the new line. This is a political document. That's not the document. This is the main line. This is the guy that's out there. He's selling it right now. They refer to all these CIA documents that were made available to the committee in these 500, 600 pages. uh, Those are the ones that have been declassified. Now, obviously, from last week's episode, it was obvious that Wolf was all in on defending the CIA. Remember how he went after Diane, and it was great. It was one of our best clips of the show. So if this is a very friendly atmosphere, and you can. What I want to play, I want to play this out because you saw at the beginning how Jake Tapper, who I don't, I don't, you know, whatever. Jake Tapper seems to be kind of the most interesting guy on CNN, but he he pushed back on the rectal rehydration. Uh, uh, answer, Wolf? No, he's all in. I think I think Hayden might be part of the Wolf Pack. I think he might be in there. Redacted. There's still what six thousand pages of more information. Yeah. And if you speak to members over there, they're not giving details, but they say the, the details are even worse, even more damning than what's included in this document. So that's a, probably something that we really uh, should focus more on is there is a lot more of this report that we're not going to see for a long time. Well, well exactly. We'll... And he's hinted that those are just the papers that have been released. Right. And, and, and what has released. been released is still seen quite a bit of redactions. Uh, country names oh, yeah. have been removed. Uh, a lot of stuff has been changed, which is, you know, uh, that's, I understand. That's standard procedure. Yeah. You're, you're a correspondent. You're a journalist. You seek truth like we did in the intelligence community. <laughs> What? Wow. I got to get a clip of that. Somebody, oh, I'm going to play it again. Somebody get your, get, will you clip this for me, please? Yeah, Just sure, do me Wolf. a solid. Well, Wolf, you're, you're a correspondent. You're a journalist. You seek truth like we did in the intelligence community. If you had a chance to talk to people or just kind of rummage through their emails, which would you do? Or- <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. That's so good. You know, it's funny. Is like this is not the first time I've seen this, but that, that did not jump out at me the first time. Or actually, oh, this wow. is this is probably the fourth time I've seen this clip. But this is not. I just wow. Maybe you got oh. to do both. This report was based upon a four-year fishing expedition amongst six million pages of CIA documents. And and call me crazy, Wolf. I think they actually began with a conclusion and then worked backward into that sea of documents. Now, remember, the man that is speaking right now, uh, that is the guy that is the director of the CIA during the time that we are torturing people. That, this guy, right now. In order to create a case for each of the conclusions. Here's uh, one of the documents. It says this. It's uh, pretty harrowing. Uh, CIA officer ordered that Gul Rahman be shackled to the wall of his cell in a position that required the detainee to rest on the bare concrete floor. Rahman was wearing only a sweatshirt. The next day, the guards found Gul Rahman's dead body. Rahman likely died from hypothermia, in part from having been forced to sit on the bare concrete floor without pants. Now, that sounds like torture. Well, first of all, 
It was not part of the high-value detainee program. It happened in Afghanistan at a site run by an inexperienced CIA officer. Oh! Uh-oh. Oh! Blaming the low guy. Oh! Huh. Shame on us. We put this young man in a position for which we had not prepared him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, torturing another living being. It was reported to the Justice Department. And in fact, the high-value detainee interrogation program that this report says it is telling you about, it is a product of how CIA mishandled some of these early battlefield detentions in Afghanistan. Now, now Hayden has to understand something here. He's got to come out here. He's got to control this message. But at a certain point, he also has to isolate himself he has to be able to isolate himself from the stuff that he knows is now documented, now on the record, and real bad. In short, Wolf, the program I went down to explain to the Congress in 2006 and 2007. And the report, by the way, says that almost the majority of the things that he shared with Congress during that time was wrong was the program we put in place because of mistakes like the one with Gul Rockman. Look, because that guy died when I came in, I cleaned things up. All right, so let's talk about uh, some of the other uh, pretty brutal uh, things that came out of this report. Uh, it states this. We all knew, by the way, uh, about the waterboarding, the sleep deprivation, but it then goes on and says this. At least five detainees were subjected to rectal rehydration or rectal feeding. There is at least one record of Abu Zubaydah receiving rectal fluid resuscitation for partially refusing liquids. Now, uh, that's so it's interesting. So Wolf here has picked uh, the one where the person was uh, refusing liquids. And you could make a obvious medical case that this person. Oh, easily. Yeah. This person needed if, to be rehydrated. That was justified. Right. You can justify that. One. Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you don't have to put it up the ass, but I mean, you could still there is a there is a sick way to justify it. Now, um, they, they could have sedated him with a shot and put him put an IV in him. The uh, the guy that uh, came in that was the uh, mastermind, quote unquote, of 9-11. Uh, he actually because this is I'm not I wish I was making this up, but I'm not making it up because they waterboarded him so much. There was so much, so much fluid in his system that he was essentially drowning already, oh, and, wow. and that when they rectally fed him, hydration was actually he was overhydrated. It was he was overhydrated when they rectally fed him. So it was interesting that out of all of the ones that they could pick from, Wolf picks the one where that person actually did medically require rehydration. That's just interesting because you could have gone the other way where the person was actually overhydrated and the doctor was actually recommending that you stop doing it. The doctor was actually saying stop. Is that legal? Is that torture? What is that? Well, no, it's a medical procedure is what it is. Now, Wolf, I'm learning about this somewhat too because as you know, almost all of this took place before I became director. But I have learned that in some instances, one way that you can get nourishment into a person is through this procedure as opposed to intravenous feeding which of course involves needles and a whole bunch of other dangerous things can you believe oh, that, can you believe they're well, actually doing this i i, I I'm, having dangerous. Trouble, uh, yeah. I, I'm having trouble needles understanding are... what's more dangerous something that people do in hospitals 
or something that Every people do day in torture areas. Well, so his point is these are violent people, but then aren't also the people in Guantanamo when we're sticking the hose down their throat? Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, it uh, is a dangerous now, it but, is a dangerous place, so we'll put a, a pipe up there uh, instead, you know? Just... <laughs> I, I will remind you, remember when Jake Tapper pushed back a little bit when Hayden was defending the uh, rectal rehydration. So let's see, how does Wolf handle the does, – does Wolf, as Wolf likes to say, Wolf will often say during interviews, let me push on this issue. Let me push back on this issue. Does Wolf push back on the rectal rehydration? The way that you can get – nourishment into a person is through this procedure as opposed to intravenous feeding, which of course involves needles and a whole bunch of other dangerous things. You used to be the director of the CIA. Oh, just just rolls with it. There was an obvious cut there, an obvious edit there. Listen to this. The CIA spent $40 million to prevent us from issuing this report. That is fact. We did not spend the money. We used our staff to do this report. They went into our computers illegally to take out information, not once, not twice, but three times, which I believe is a separation of powers violation. Sounds like potential crimes there. Your reaction? Well, my reaction is CIA spent $40 million to stop this report. I'm sorry, Wolf. I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm blank on that one. I have no idea what, what that would mean. I do know it has been routinely reported in the press that this investigation, this is the product, cost $40 million over four years and was done not just by Senate staff, but by contractors who are hired for this very purpose. And since we're trying to figure out who shot John here, I want to know what happened to the Senate Sergeant-at-Arms investigation that was launched to find out how this document, the so-called Panetta Report, ended up on the sissy side of the firewall. Now, I think that's actually a legitimate question. So there is a separate, a separate frickin' report called the Panetta Report uh, that is also out there that they got their hands on. And Eric, you had a comment about Feinstein's motives. Oh, yeah. Here, here's the thing. I question the timing because she's chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Okay, we've got that. So that tells me that she has known about this for quite some time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And suddenly she's losing her chair because guess what? Now the Republicans right. have the majority. Right. So she's just butthurt that she's not going to be in charge anymore. So she's like, well, here we go. We're going to make the Republicans look as bad as possible. You really think that she... I mean, think about the fight that she's taking. She's not yeah. taking on, like, even Exxon. She's not taking on the cable, the, the telco industry. She's taking on the CIA. And oh, I, yeah. I, I, and, 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 we, it, and when you look at her, she yeah. looks angry. To me, I think they did lie. I think they did mislead. And what I suspect is that when she discovered that she was being lied to, some ultimatums were made, some lines were crossed, and they went all in on this. Now, I think the timing of the release is very much because of the upcoming transition. So I do believe there is a political aspect to it. But I do not for a minute think she's doing it to make the Republicans look bad because honestly what she's doing – Eric, seriously, what she's doing is putting a target on the back of her head for the rest of her life. Oh, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, I, did, I did think small like plans. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. 
I mean, I do not like this woman. I do not like this. I think she is a very corrupt person. I think she's made a ton of money off the military-industrial complex. I think she has been a a, a huge advocate and defender of the uh, uh, intelligence-industrial complex. But I think this report (laughs) did need to be seen. System T in the chat room would be poetic justice if Hillary made her a CIA director. (laughs) I think Feinstein's done, too. I think that's another reason why she's doing this. I think Feinstein has dementia or something. I really do. Uh, because when you watch her on C-SPAN, uh, she mis- she mispronounces things a lot. She stumbles a lot. The, when when you get her in clips, they clip her down to good sound bites. But when you watch her live, um, she struggles a little bit. And I think she's maybe getting done anyways. I think that's part of it. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, she's been on the way out anyways. All right. So I, I want to mention our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash unfilter. That's the mumble room. Uh, Patreon.com slash unfilter. There it is. That's where you can go to support the show and keep it on the air. I, I, I tell you, if it wasn't for this page, you wouldn't have a show like this where we're just discussing this stuff with no agenda. Hey, hey, oh, uh, in the morning. Uh, but, and, and, but really, seriously, like there's no pre-contact. We don't come into this with something that we need, a narrative that we need to make sure we hit or any kind of message. Or, or and you know, more importantly... It's not about like picking the topic that's going to get all of the clicks because I I was actually thinking about it this week the I think you know on average the American public is pretty okay with the CIA torture stuff like if I wanted to do a show that would generate a lot of clicks I wouldn't have just spent this much time on the CIA instead I want to do a show that covers things that are really seriously important uh, it sounds a little ambitious but if if you go way way back in the unfiltered archive and listen to the teaser clip. I wonder if I could find that. Uh, in there, I talk about, or the, the teaser clip talks about denting the universe. And I really try to cover the stories that I think dent the universe every single week. Sometimes that means we don't talk about stuff that maybe we should. And sometimes it means that we talk about stuff that other people would prefer we didn't. But I think in the long term, I think it's going to really make a difference. And we're going to catalog something here. And uh, our next topics are exactly that, just as this topic is. And it's really our patrons that make that possible. So go over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Not only uh, do you keep this show on the air, but you get access to the patron exclusives, including the show notes, all of the content in that makes up this show, uh, the overtime folder, which is huge this week, really some good stuff in the overtime folder this week. Uh, and you, you also uh, get uh, the satisfaction of knowing you keep this show on the air. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And uh, thanks to all 355 of you, you will have something special. I don't know if you're going to have it in time for, let's see, let me look, hold on. Um, so we don't have a live unfilter next week because it's uh, Christmas Eve, it's the 24th. And we might not have a live unfilter on the 31st. I haven't talked to Chase yet to see what his availability is for a New Year's Eve. We were going to talk about that tonight, but he had kind of an emergency sitch. So... I can't make any commitments yet, but I do have something planned for our supporters before the end of the year as a thank you. It's nothing big, but it's something I'm going to put, I'm, I'm going to put together just for our supporters, and uh, you have a chance to get access to that. So go over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Not only will you get access to that when we might be off for two weeks, and so some new content might be nice, but you can also still get your uh, support in for the month of December, I think. I think that's how it works. I'm not sure. Anyways, patreon.com slash unfilter, and thank you, everybody, who supports our show. All right, so uh, this next story we're going to talk about was really on the top of Chase's list, but it has been 
really something to watch this Sony hack. And it started out today. It's been a very fast developing story. The beginning, early this morning, it was there's been some threats. We're not going to... We're not going to be held back by the terrorists. We're not going to be stopped by the terrorists. But there's been some threats. The Sony cyber attackers issuing new threats, now suggesting they'll take revenge on movie theaters slated to premiere The Interview, a parody aimed at the North Korean leader. What started as Hollywood gossip quickly morphing into a possible terror plot being assessed at the highest levels. Just how credible is the threat? Here's ABC's Cecilia Vega. From a corporation under siege to a nation potentially under attack. Today, hackers claiming they broke into Sony's computer network, issuing their most ominous warning yet. A threat invoking 9-11, implying attacks at theaters planning to show the interview. That Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy about journalists attempting to assassinate North Korea's Kim Jong-un. You want us to kill the leader of North Korea? Yes. The group claiming responsibility for the hack, calling itself Guardians of Peace, saying online, we recommend you to keep yourself distant. If your house is nearby, you'd better leave. Soon, all the world will see what an awful movie Sony has made. The world will be full of fear. And now tonight, Sony apparently backing down, telling theater owners they are free not to run the $44 million feature. You want to go kill Kim Jong-un? Totally. I'd love to assassinate Kim Jong-un. It's a date. Sony not commenting on the latest threat. So that was the threat level. Of course, then this started as threats this morning. And as the day progressed, more and more theaters began canceling their premiere, quote-unquote, of the big movie. In the meantime, another Fox News alert. Get this now. The Sony hackers threatening violence in America. The New York premiere of this movie called The Interview has been canceled after hackers warned of a 9-11-style terror attack at theaters showing that film. That movie stars Seth Rogen and James Franco set to hit theaters on Christmas Day. It's a comedy, apparently, about two journalists who are asked to, by the CIA to kill the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. And an unidentified hacking group attacked Sony Pictures, stealing all this private information, making it public. But now that threat has turned to violence. Hackers saying, quote, remember the 11th. Now, what I want you to pick up on here is they keep saying hackers, cyber attack. Hackers are saying this. Hackers are threatening violence. Hackers are threatening violence. Of September, that's an obvious reference to 9-11. William Lajeunesse up early in Los Angeles. We begin there. William, what are the options here now? What are the options here now? What? Oh. Options? Oh, man, that's rich. That <laughs> is so rich. Choice of words. Uh, so uh, the, the the whole thing has been sold as these uh, very aggressive cyber hackers attacking us. Uh, it's very scary, of course. And I, I can't help but I think, you know, do you guys think this is legitimate, this threat? Well, North no. Korea has taken responsibility. I did see a news article about that, but I don't know how credible that right? is. Right, yep, it was in the New York yeah. Times just a little bit ago. North Korea. Oh, well, no, 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 no. Hold on. North Korea didn't take responsibility. The U.S. government says they have they have linked it to North Korea. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. They have linked it to uh, But, yeah, oh. uh, and, and so that's probably a reason why Sony canceled it, right? Because now there seems to be some legitimacy behind it. Uh, I don't think this is legitimate at all. This just sounds like a bunch of internet trolls, and uh, I just think that hacker is going to be the new name for internet troll from now on. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and like it, you wouldn't have to have the hack component that where they got where they breached the Sony network to do this component. You, if there was a movie coming along that you didn't like, you could do this. You could do this aspect. You could just claim, hey, if you play this movie, we'll do a nine eleven style attack. 
It doesn't. You don't even have to have the hack. So just like fully like rolling over like this, it seems to it seems to only encourage this kind of thing. Didn't the yeah. FBI say it wasn't North Korea? So. Well, initially they did. Yes, as a matter of fact. Uh, initially, but, but the report that was released today said yep, otherwise. Yep, yep. I got it, I got it linked up in the show notes, and uh, yeah, they've changed on that. Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking, wouldn't there be uh, too many theaters to be able to do a terror attack on all of them? Well, really? do you guys want to make a little? Uh, I could do. Hold on, I'll grab the mumble uh, book here. Uh, now, let me ask you. Let me get. Uh, hold on, let's uh, let's talk about this for a second here. Mumble room. Since this is sort of a special episode, uh, could be the last unfiltered of the year. We should probably make a solid red book prediction. Now there will be a private episode for the patrons, but mumble room. Let me ask you something. Do you think at the last minute, Sony Pictures will turn it about and say, "No, we've decided to go ahead with the release on Christmas Day. Be a patriot. Rah rah. Go America." fight the terrorists go watch our movie or will it be rescheduled for some other time oh I think it'll get rescheduled I think it'll get rescheduled but still be close to I think rescheduled Ah oh, man nobody <laughs> nobody's taking the rah rah okay never mind. it's not even a red book no, prediction no because otherwise Sony loses a ton of money yeah. that's not their game have you guys seen the people calling for just a digital release what do you think of that I think we're talking about Seth Rogen movie here. So this is not exactly an A-list movie. They could do this straight to DVD. Yeah, I and suppose isn't it already so. in the pirate sites. Seth of course, that's amazing. what they say. They say it is. Yeah. Uh, all right. Should we talk about something of more significance? Then I think we probably should. Uh, let's let's talk about something we've all noticed. The cost of oil is continuing to go down, down, down. Yeah, it's going to make my Christmas vacation nice and cheap. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great for us. Uh, not so great for Russia. Uh, but you know, it's not. It's a one-two thing now with Russia, right? Because you got these sanctions and you got this oil price dropping. But it's sort of quietly. There's been some some serious legislation passing. Some really good stuff in the show notes this week. But one of the things that passed is a bill that not only gives Obama a lot more leverage with sanctions, but also opens the door to sending weapons to the uh, Ukrainian army. Now, the U.S. is stepping up its sanctions against Moscow over the Ukraine conflict. And it comes as America looks to restore its relations with Cuba, admitting that its restrictions policy against Havana has failed. Now, what she's, what she's saying with her horrible accent is uh, it's interesting this is happening in the background while we're lifting sanctions off of Cuba, essentially where Obama's admitting the sanctions did nothing, no regime change, and uh, th- now we're, but we're going to go ahead and do sanctions on, on Russia. As you watch this clip, um, pay attention too to like, you know, things like the uh, lag and delay, and uh, marvel in the fact that your listener-supported and filter show has somehow managed to overcome these technical challenges. Artis Ganesh Chikan joins me now live from Washington, D.C. for more on this. Well, Ganesh, what do we know about this bill at this point? Well, Marina, apparently President Obama signed the bill Tuesday night without much fuss, without any announcement and any reports in the media confirming this. And I learned about this this afternoon, asking a question at the State Department. Take a listen. About, uh, about the sanctions bill that, that President Obama is about to, to sign, mm-hmm. as I understand. Um, he signed it yesterday. Uh, so the president had already signed the bill without any really kind of recognition. 
Well, this bill sort of gives the president the authority to impose further sanctions against Russia. But the U.S. president may or may not do that. With the previous rounds of sanctions, that was the executive branch imposing sanctions. That was direct action that was different. But a bill authorizes the president to take certain measures. For example, the bill also authorizes the president to send $350 million worth of arms and military equipment to Ukraine. I asked the State Department spokesperson whether the U.S. is going to do this, and she said the U.S. is not currently providing lethal weapons and that to Ukraine and that um, that policy hasn't changed. So maybe the White House will put this bill in a distant drawer somewhere and never remember about this, but based on the previous rounds of sanctions and the statements that we hear, the White House is pursuing a course of sanctions and isolation toward Russia. So here's what I found interesting about that. Uh, so more sanctions coming, and uh, it sounds like it's very possible that we just have the go-ahead to deliver weapons to Ukraine and help them in that conflict without really anybody ever knowing about it at this point. It's been authorized. The funding's ready to go. So there's a lot of pressure they're putting on with the sanctions, plus the uh, cost of uh, oil is going way down. So before we talk about this, I think something we have to look at, this last week has been a really, really, really bad week for the Russian ruble. I think it's down like 20% in just like 24 hours. So, well, the, the decreasing value of oil is uh, the decreasing price of oil is having an effect around uh, the globe. Uh, here in Russia as well. What effect is it having on Moscow? A negative one, but an expected negative one. In fact, the ruble is now hovering at around 60, uh, 60 rubles to the dollar, which is an all-time low. It's, it's nothing good for the economy. But again, uh, it's no surprise. Russians uh, and Russia have resigned themselves to the fact that oil is falling, that the ruble is plunging, and there's not a lot you can uh, do about it. So they're going to weather this one out. But uh, having said that, uh, nobody's holding their fingers crossed that uh, t today or tomorrow will be the day that oil finally uh, bounces back up. It's painful, but it's painful for the whole world. Which is a good point. Uh, and uh, OPEC has said that they will continue production even if it gets down to $40 a barrel. They will keep production wow. at what it's at. That's low. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like... A dollar a gallon for gas, roughly. Uh, but it, so it sounds bad for Russia, and uh, but they are in a pretty good position. So first of all, I think it's it's fair to assume that oil is always going to be valuable. It's it's right now the price is really low, but it's always going to be very valuable. But uh, Russia also has other options, right? See, the thing is, is that what really is fundamentally different as we begin to make these sort of what feel like Cold War moves. The big difference now is the United States is not the only big dog in town anymore, right? China and India are stepping up in a really big way. Uh, India and Russia agreed to significantly boost energy cooperation this week. During Vladimir Putin's visit to Delhi, the side signed a number of ambitious agreements worth about $100 billion. First of all, Russia has agreed to supply India with 1 million tons of oil annually. And by 2017, India will start receiving 2.5 million tons of liquefied gas per year. However, it's India's atomic sector that will get... Now listen to this. Listen to what India's atomic sector is going to get. The most impressive boost as Russia will build up to 24 nuclear power stations. In the Did you hear that? What? <laughs> yeah. 
right? Twenty-four so, nuclear power stations. It's not all about that oil, right? And they're going to get nope. they're going to get rolling pretty like almost right away with twelve of them. Russia will build up to twenty-four nuclear power stations in the country. On top of that, the Indian Prime Minister reiterated that Russia remains its most important partner in the defense sphere. However, the dean of India's Jindal School of International Affairs believes it's high time for the countries to diversify their cooperation further. I wonder if that transaction will be in rubles or dollars. I wonder. Well, well they better not build these nuclear power plants anything like how they built Chernobyl. Right. Uh, <laughs> and they get, <laughs> and they get the there. yellow cake from Australia. Uh, so, you know, there's been something we've followed for a long time, and that's been the, sort of the narrative that, that it's – so ISIS came along real quick. Boom, here's ISIS. They're the bad guy or ISIL. And then the media has done a real good job of trying to kind of fill in the backstory. Just kind of give us some – these guys are bad guys. And every single week I see a new iteration of this. And I wanted to play a little bit of this week's iteration of – ISIL is filled with all these bad guys that came from prisons. He may be the most vicious terrorist leader in recent years, possibly more brutal than bin Laden. Tonight, a former inmate at a U.S.-run prison camp in Iraq says ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the man behind scores of ISIS beheadings, was once a trusted inmate by his American captors. Oh, here we go with the prison narrative again. Allowed to roam freely around the camp. So he could do his networking. The Americans seem to see Abu Bakr as, as somebody who could keep the prison quiet. There are 24 camps within the, the, the Sunni side of Camp Booker. He was allowed open access to all of them. Guardian reporter Martin Chulov interviewed a senior ISIS commander he calls Abu Ahmed, not his real name. Oh. Abu Ahmed says he spent time at Camp Buka with Baghdadi starting in 2004. He told Chulov Baghdadi was a fixer at the camp who could settle disputes between competing factions. Oh, just kind of like ISIS. Somebody, geez, you know what? Somebody with an ISIS would need that skill. Quote, he ISIL. was respected very much by the U.S. <laughs> Army. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, he said, was seen by other detainees as clever, scheming, quote, using a policy of conquer and divide to get what he wanted. A U.S. intelligence official tells us Baghdadi built street cred inside Buka. Street cred in the jail. Street cred. Street Sorry. cred. I'm having trouble with that he's one. Got that street, yeah, he's got that street cred in the jail. Street cred. Street in the Middle East. Street cred, you guys. On the sand. Street cred. Yeah, street cred. Street cred. Abu Ahmed said Baghdadi and other jihadists at this American prison were not always segregated, oh. essentially allowed to meet freely. They could plot. To plot. And they had an ingenious way of communicating. Oh, what was it? Him and others were able to write their contact details on the white elastic of their boxer shorts, the prison-issued boxer shorts, um, and that was a way that they networked. And when they got out of prison, they had phone numbers, they had details of fathers, villagers, uncles, whatever. Abu Ahmed depicted Camp Buka as the incubator of ISIS. Oh! And now, wouldn't it be a great, like, let's bring it all together if they could somehow also tie in the CIA torture with this? Like, the CIA torture of some of these detainees, like, just led to the brutal brutality of ISIS. Like, just bring it all together. It'd be really great. Feels like that could well, be inspired. Almost like we brought it on ourselves. Let's just all surrender. Blah, right. Blah, blah. Right. Uh, and then uh, one thing I want to touch on uh, before we move forward, uh, I'm still watching to kind of see because I'm more interested to see what the fallout and policy decisions are. 
But there was this 17-hour hostage standoff in uh, Sydney this week. We have new information this morning about the ending of that deadly siege in Sydney, Australia. We're also learning the man who held hostages inside a cafe was on a terror watch list years ago. The gunman and two hostages were killed at the end of Monday's standoff. Ben Tracy is in Sydney where people continue mourning those victims. Ben, good morning. Gail, good morning. If you want to see something amazing, look at this. This memorial in the center of Sydney has doubled in size just today. Man, this is a sad story. Uh, Uh, This is something, you know, when watching uh, from afar uh, that you just you look at and you just think it's it's super, super sad. And uh, so it's been interesting to see how the U.S. has kind of covered this from from at least from our standpoint as we watch this from afar. As people continue to come here to pay their respects to those two hostages who lost their lives, we're also learning more about just how terrifying that ordeal was. This new video shows a marksman inside Sydney's Channel 7 newsroom just across the street from the Lind Cafe. Moments later, 34 seconds of gunfire ended the 17-hour hostage standoff. And we can now better understand what those hostages endured. One woman was crying as she held up a black flag in the window. Another trembled. A black ISIS-looking flag. And then collapsing. John O'Brien was one of the first hostages to escape. He gave a brief statement Wednesday. I never felt so much relief as when I turned that corner and saw the armed police waiting for me. There is reading that statement. That's interesting. There is growing anger in Sydney that the hostage taker, Man Haroon Munis, was out on bail after being charged with 40 counts of sexual assault, being an accessory to murder, and having well-known extremist views. Andrew Scipioni is commissioner of the New South Wales Police. Are you concerned that given his criminal background that he was out on bail? We were concerned that this man got bail from the very beginning. Should he have been watched more closely by the police? If somebody is on a, a national security watch list, then we pay particular attention to them. But, but on this occasion, this particular individual was not. In downtown Sydney, where streets are now reopened, police have launched what they call Operation Hammerhead, increased patrols throughout the city. But the police are far outnumbered by the thousands still waiting in line to pay their respects at the ever-growing Flower Memorial. Family and friends of Tory Johnson, one of the hostages who was killed, visited the memorial on Wednesday. So, uh, very sad. Uh, and Tubsta, are you in Australia? Yes, I am. I'm in Melbourne, but um, I originally uh, came from Sydney and I worked um, just around the corner from where that happened. So you must be it, following this, right? Yeah, yeah, very closely. Um, it's 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 very very sad to see. Uh, we had I don't you have covered it previously um, uh, when we had our Port Arthur uh, uh, Port Arthur massacres uh, back in the nineties. Uh, we had uh, tightened gun control back then, so yeah. um, guns are not prevalent in Australia unless you're like a, a criminal obviously right um, and so we don't we don't have this happen every second day or every week or every month sort of thing it's it's a very rare occurrence that this occurs and it's actually very sad that's why there's so many people you see there uh, paying respects oh for sure I mean it, yeah it's it's very sad whenever you see and you know uh, I it, I, what what are your senses on the uh, on the supposed connections to terrorism or ISIS and all of that? 
Yeah, that's that's one thing that's been that's been brought up. Um, I've been watching in the media, um, and it depends on what side of the media you look at. Too, uh, terrorism has has uh, has played big time in the Fox uh, news me- news limited media. Um, however, um, this is a single individual uh, that you know just because he held up a flag um, doesn't necessarily mean he is um, uh, of a terrorist organisation or it was a terrorist act. Um, it's his views. I mean, it could have been anyone that um, that performed this act. You know, what's interesting, though, is here in the U.S. media, yeah, it's definitely uh, the, the story I've seen is ISIS radicalized him. ISIS brought him to do this. ISIS gave him the inspiration. ISIS reached out to him. It's been played up quite a bit. Yeah, there's been yeah, no I'm... link. There's been no link made to ISIS whatsoever. Um, it, you, yeah, you have to trawl through through different um, aspects and different uh, commentary from security experts down here, and there is no link uh, back to ISIS. He is a self-professed um, radicalized cleric. Uh, he is not a, an official cleric. Sounds like um, a bad person but... all around from his history. Yeah, yeah, he's been um, uh, accessory to murder and yeah. uh, also out on bail, as you heard. And a ton of sexual um, assault charges. Yep, yep, exactly. So he's just a bad person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, do you agree that maybe he should have been monitored more? Because that sounds like an awful slippery slope to me. Yeah. But, I mean, was, if anybody, this, this guy seems like maybe he should have been on that list. Yeah, he, he, he was actually out on bail. Um, and he really, uh, it, the questions are being asked now is how did he get out on bail when he's got prior history, especially around that accessory to murder? Um, he shouldn't have been out, allowed out in the community. So there is actually inquiries going, uh, inquiries going on at the moment to uh, ascertain um, his uh, release from jail. Kitson, I wanted to give you a chance to mention the mental health health aspect of this. Go ahead. I couldn't help but notice, and a lot of people in the chat notice this too. This guy was has forty sexual assault yeah. Yeah. things here. Uh, he was in jail for trying to. Uh, no, he succeeded in murdering his wife. When I understand, this guy is really sick. He obviously has mental health issues. Does Australia have some sort of uh, mental health system, or is it like the U.S. where it's just free reign on that? <laughs> Yeah, this it's it's a bit it's a bit of a free reign. However, there is there is um, help for people that want to seek help or family members that that see a family member and they're concerned for their welfare. We do have those um, facilities in place, uh, government supported facilities. Um, however, uh, you know, I suppose twenty twenty five years ago they sort of uh, relaxed the government um, uh, institutionalized. Uh, monitoring of people so mm. yeah okay uh well uh tubsta you're our correspondent now uh so uh, keep us in the loop okay and uh, we'll, do. we'll keep watching it i mean because of my vantage point here in the pacific northwest what i really see is the united states's response and and the united states their version of this story so it's great to get your version of the story from a little bit closer to the scene uh before we get out of here as is per tradition, often on the Unfiltered Show, we're going to end on a high note. High and, note. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually been a great week. Um, well, there's actually been some lows, too. Uh, there's been, unfortunately, some uh, some setbacks in D.C. But uh, there was a really great study that came out that says that uh, teen marijuana use falls when states legalize. So teen alcohol and drug use... In, and not just, by the way, it's not just marijuana use, but 
also alcohol use has gone down across the board in all of the states in 2014. Uh, the big take home uh, is that in 2014, this was done by the University of Michigan, by the way, this study, uh, and also in conjunction with the, with the University of Michigan, the National Institutes on Drug Abuse. On Tuesday morning, they released their study where they followed 40,000 8th graders, 10th graders, and 12th graders. So 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. So this is one of, A, the largest studies they've ever done. Uh, and it was conducted this past spring in the midst of a nationwide conversation about drug reform. And where, where cannabis had been legalized, student use of marijuana and alcohol went down. And I think that's pretty incredible. And uh, that's, a neat, that's a neat narrative as we come to potentially our last episode in 2014. And we followed this through this whole year. Uh, it, it is very cool to hear that. Now, there is some setbacks locally. So Washington State is one of the few states in the United States of America, as we record this, that has recreational cannabis use. And as we transition to this recreational cannabis system, the medical cannabis system is really getting screwed over. And unfortunately, the medical cannabis system is a much better system with a much wider access to information, education, and better products. It's cheaper, too. You know what? It is a lot cheaper, actually. So uh, today, for the first time ever, I went to my first recreational cannabis store uh, in uh, in Washington. Oh, look at you yeah. getting all up in there! I did. Well, because you know why? One <laughs> one opened. We like, got to do journalistic research. Yeah. Well, one opened one point eight miles away from the studio in Smoky oh, Point, nice. right here in Smoky <laughs> Point. So uh, I just and it's literally a straight shot. Like you get out on Smoky Point Boulevard, you go over, you just drive all the way over there, and and then there's the there's the you go down this weird gravel road. It's actually kind of funny. It's a little that, sketch. That is funny because <laughs> you you turn off the road and they're like there's signs and it's like the store's this way and there's like green arrows, which is like apparently the universal sign for a weed shop. Well, uh, that's just like sounds like typical Arlington right there. Yeah. The gravel so road, and I'm thinking outback. to myself, boy, I'm glad I'm in a four by four truck. So it's like ba bum ba bum ba bum. I'm driving down this gravel road. Uh, you know what? I should post the picture while I'm talking. about Oh, I didn't bring my phone. Oh, I did bring my phone. The down. swordfish in the chat room. We know what happened to Chase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. He was at work. I did this uh, at about uh, three thirty, four o'clock after I'd finished. Uh, all of my uh, unfiltered work, I was like, okay, well, I've got, I've got all the clips. The show notes are done. Well, I, all right, I'm going to go check this out. It, it is so close to the house, and we always do the high note here. Uh, so I'm just going to go. I'm, just, I'm doing this quick, so I'm just going to post it on Instagram. If you want to go check it out, you can go to Instagram.com slash Toefisher. But I'll, I'll pull it up here, too, while I talk about it. So mm, Instagram.com slash Toefisher. I just posted this. I went there today. And uh, they had uh, – oh, not that screen. That's the mumble room. Uh, it is a barn, basically. It's a green-like shack, and it's down this long gravel road that has potholes. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, I'm glad I'm not in, like, some lowrider car. And uh, I, I arrived there, and I didn't, I didn't know what to expect at first because – I've you know even it's though it's been warehouse. yeah it's been legalized for a year I've never gone to any of these places so I didn't know what to expect I have been to a, a, a medical place and a medical place the ones that I've gone to are very you know they're they've been around for for a decade they're they're really well run they have glass screens you go in there you show them your medical card you get in like they they check you they they bring you into the computer system this one. 
It's more like a liquor store. You show them your ID, and you just once they okay, you're you're over twenty one, which unfortunately I'm very over twenty one, and you just go in there, and it's just like it's uh, uh oh, one of the things that jumped out at me is everything is prepackaged and ready to go in little quantities, um like. So at a, at a medical cannabis place, like, they'll just have jars of stuff. And, like, you just go in there and you're like, you just, like, fill up a bag. But at this place, and maybe some maybe some recreational places aren't like this, but this place, everything was in, like, uh, anti-static bags ready to go. And you could go in and then you could buy stuff. I didn't I didn't uh, walk away with anything. But uh, well, the whole experience the stuff, was – Might as well be in an anti-static, high-quality bag. Right. Right. So the whole, the whole experience was very interesting. And uh, – now that they're just right up the street, uh, I might go back there for further show research. But I, I, uh, th- I, that was my first. So here we are at the end of 2014, which is so funny because it's a story we have followed this entire time. But that is my first recreational one, and I, I didn't even know they had one locally here. So really... next time I'm up at the studio, I'm going to pretty much have to avoid the brownies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they were actually <laughs> anti-static bags, but they look just like it. And uh, okay, I, all right, <laughs> I, I, I did, I did, I did buy one thing. And uh, it comes in a little baggie, and I have it right here. Uh, that's me hitting the mic with it. It's called Cheese Wreck. And, it, and what's interesting, as a label, it tells you everything about it right on there. Uh, and so it gives you, like, uh, all kinds of information and it when it was baggied, and it gives a barcode and how much THC is in it. So everything like that. It's, it's, wow, high-quality yeah. stuff. It, uh, but it really it looks like there should be a microprocessor in the bag. <laughs> It's a little disappointing because there's, there's no microprocessor in there. Uh, unfortunately, though, I would say uh, – so now I, now I have both experienced the medical uh, stores and the recreational stores. And I would say the medical stores not only – so the recreational store really did feel more like a liquor store, whereas the uh, medical stores feel more like, a, well, what is your symptom and how can we help you address that? And here's the information of why it helps. And unfortunately – and I suspect this will probably happen as the rest of the nation legalizes. We're beginning to shut down the medical program here in Washington State, and it's starting down in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, that was the cue, but it didn't fire off. Uh, so I'll, I'll <laughs> apparently, apparently on my system, MKV files are registered with Handbrake and not VLC. So uh, our local uh, news affiliate, King5, who uh, is the uh, – is the NBC affiliate, has been covering this story about how we're kind of through this really kind of backwards process where it's a catch-22. We require a license, but we're not issuing a license. The medical stores are getting shut down. And the reason why I want to play this, because it's happening here in Washington State, but I think it'll probably happen everywhere as it rolls out. All medical marijuana collectives in Tacoma could soon have to shut down. They aren't licensed under the state initiative 502. This past week, city leaders addressed plans to send out letters to cease operations as early as January. And as Keen 5's Janet Kim reports, both business owners and patients are expressing concerns. From its name to the signature green cross donned on its signs. This is our apothecary. It isn't hard to figure out what you'll find inside ancient holistic remedies in Tacoma. A balanced indica. Richard and Kimberly Braga opened up their business in 2012 in honor of Kimberly's dad, who died of cancer. His treatment of choice, marijuana. Love you. Oh, thank you. They now serve people like Susan Fairchild, who have turned to cannabis for healing. There are days I could not cut hair if I didn't have this to rub on my knees and my feet and my hands. 
because I have severe arthritis. But ancient holistic remedies and an estimated 50 plus other collectives could soon be forced to close its doors. This after Tacoma City Council revealed a plan to shut down unregulated pot shops and the start of the new year. Ultimately, these collective gardens, while we, uh, we uh, certainly respect the work that people have uh, put into this process, um, there's just such legal ambiguity. And uh, one of the other concerns is there's such a, uh, a proliferation and a concentration of these stores in certain neighborhoods. That will leave only recreational marijuana stores in the city. Not an option for those like Fairchild who want to get healed. Not for me. Not high. Not for me. It's not an option. I will not go to a recreational pot shop. There's a big difference. It's like having to go to a liquor store to get isopropyl alcohol. It won't be an option for the Bragas either, who don't support recreational marijuana and say despite getting licenses and paying taxes, they'll soon be grouped with others who don't. They are not taking the time to, to see who's doing things right, you know, and I, I think they're going to rope us all into the same boat and set us out to sail, you know, which is tragic. I actually kind of agree with that. I think there's people who have legitimate medical needs that are going to get screwed by this. Um, oh, absolutely. And it's it's a little unfortunate. But uh, at the same time, if you think about it from the big picture, it's kind of still amazing that the whole thing's happening. Kits and Kitty, I know you want to jump in about the legality of some of this. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, if they're requiring that you have a license for medical marijuana, then the state refuses to give out those licenses. That could put an onus on the state for refusing to do that. Yeah. That potentially could be illegal. I could see some lawsuits coming. I could too, especially considering there should be some – you would think there would be some sort of grandfathering in for the uh, medical marijuana people since they were there first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll continue to watch that. Uh, that is a good question. Really good question. I don't know, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, I feel like I, – I don't know. I feel like in a way we're on, on some sort of weird-ass front line right here on the Unfilter Show for this particular topic. And we talked about this last week. We won't have a high note every episode, but when something of interest develops, uh, we're going to talk about it. And I think that qualifies. So uh, if there was something that uh, we didn't cover, if you're like, why? wait, 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 what? They didn't talk about this? Unfilter.reddit.com. You can go over there. Also, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash today. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash unfilter. I was thinking about my – I was thinking about a story for Tech Talk. Uh, go over there and send us in your emails. I want I, – I've been really bad about incorporating feedback. And it's mostly because I set up the whole show and I get like this whole flow to it all kind of dialed in. And it's like, well, where do I fit emails into that? Uh, but I'm working on that more and more, so we want to get more of your thoughts on this. And it was kind of neat that we were able to work in a mumble room too, especially since this could be the last official public episode for 2014. So guys in the mumble room, thanks for just kind of randomly showing up. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Any time, Chris. That's all great. right. All right. Yeah, no problem. You know should what? We do this in the future with Chase. You know what? I'm sure going to. Yeah, we should. You know what? I'm going to talk to Chase. We should do this in the future where uh, he can be involved too and hang out and talk with you guys. Uh, all right. So, uh, anyways, we've said all the detail, e- details we need. Uh, go over to uh, patreon.com slash unfilter to support this uh, very show if uh, you like what we're doing. Unfilter.reddit.com if you've got a story or some feedback you'd like the community to see. And uh, also unfilteredjupiterbroadcasting.com if you just want to email us directly. But really, why don't you join us live? We usually do the show 6 p.m. Now, it's going to be a little different because of the holidays. Jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. We'll have that. But jblive.tv, Wednesdays. 
all day. So, uh, Unfilter is an all-day event. I track the stories every single night, and then Wednesdays I sit down, I assemble it all together, and then we have a live stream, usually 6 p.m. Pacific, over at jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com, slash calendar to get that in your local time. I'd love to have you join us live. You can help name the show. Chat room, don't forget, last couple of minutes to suggest. And uh, it's great to see some of you. Hope you had a great 2014. And uh, I, I think we're going to have a great 2015. And for you supporters, check the activity feed. Before the end of the year, there'll be something in there for you. I promise. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chrislas. You can also follow Mr. Nunes when he's uh, tweeting, twitter.com slash Nunes. Check him out. Also, geekgamer.tv to see all of his excellent podcasts. We have some best ofs for the other shows on the network throughout the week. Check those out and share them with folks. And if there's a particular episode from 2014 of Unfiltered that you loved a whole bunch, well, you could help us out by sending that out. You don't even have to be a patron. If you want to support the show, spread the word, contributing to the subreddit over unfiltered.reddit.com. All of those are ways to also support this show. Okay. All right. We're all done. Thanks, Mumbaroom. You guys were great. Thank you, everybody, for an excellent 2014. We'll see you right back here in a couple of weeks. And don't forget, unfiltered.com, or I'm sorry, patreon.com. I should get unfiltered.com. Is that is that even available? But anyways, patreon.com slash unfilter for that special gift before the end of the year for our supporters. See you back here in 2015. Mumble Room. Well, thank you very much. So uh, I think we're just about done. That was a big show. I have no idea how long it was since we had some of the technical issues. Oh, so gosh. I've totally, the oh, clock has totally been lost. Crashes. Yeah, yeah, random X crashes. But uh, let's so, go. Let's go so pick our time. mind was, is it Arch or Fedora? Uh, it is Arch, but uh, it's actually, I think it's something to do with VLC. So it seems to be. Yeah, I think so too. It seems to be with VLC. If I hit Escape first and then do Alt F4, it doesn't crash X. But if I hit Alt F4 before I hit Escape, well, then X crashes. You should totally try Totem. <laughs> JBTitles.com. Now we boat. Uh, I checked if uh, I'm filter. It's just a page with nothing on it. From the head tag to empty body. I know, nothing. it sucks. I know, I know, I know, it sucks. JBTitles.com. Everybody boat. All right, I'm checking right now. See what do we got? Anybody see anything they like a lot? I had a nice little suggestion that was up towards the top. Isis Street Cred. That's not bad. All right, I want to play the teaser that I published for Unfilter a long time ago. Uh, let's see here. When did I publish this? On uh, May 16th. Uh, May 16th, 2012. I published this teaser for the Unfilter show. And I think it still holds true to what, what makes it into the show. 
When you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is, and your your life is just to live your life inside the world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Uh, uh, try to have a nice family life, uh, have fun, save a little money.、Um, but life. That's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you, and you can change it. The minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side. That you can you can change it, you can mold it. That's maybe the most important thing, is to shake off this、uh, erroneous notion that life is. Is there, and you're just going to live in it. Versus, embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it.、Um, I, I think that's very important. And however you learn that, once you learn it, you'll want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. So there you go. That's pretty cool. That was sort of the、uh, the original idea behind the show, and I think it still holds true.